Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our next guest is... Hello and welcome to another Our Next Guest Is. This is a conversation where we meet the country's leading speakers in the corporate and events world and we find out who the person is behind the name. My name is Michael Pope and I'm here with Carson White from Leading Voice. Who is our next guest? Our next guest has spent his life in the elite world of Australian rules football. As CEO, he has facilitated three AFL club turnarounds. It's these lessons as a leader in one of the toughest business and sporting environments in Australia that he now brings to organisations around the country. Having faced his own personal struggles, he speaks from a very real and genuine perspective on leadership and success, and importantly, how to get back up after being knocked down. Ladies and gentlemen, our next guest is Cameron Schwab. It's a cool introduction. Thanks very much. Did you like that? Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah, okay. Cameron, let me go straight to the heart of why yeah. I've got you here. Is it likely that St Kilda will win a flag while I'm alive? Uh, I actually came into this world as a St Kilda supporter because um, my father, Alan Schwab, was the assistant secretary of uh, St Kilda back in the day when uh, they won their only premiership. So I have, right. I have a little tad of history there. So... Um, Probably the number one mentor in my life, uh, other than my father, was a fellow by the name of Alan Jeans, who right, was yeah. a great St Kilda man, and uh, he uh, had a profound influence on my life, and uh, had um, the good fortune of probably during some the most challenging periods of my life that mm. uh, he stepped forward at a at a time which was pretty important for me. So, just on that, Cameron, take us back to your childhood growing up. What it was like to be involved in football back then. It was, it, was, it was an unusual setup because my, my father was the secretary of the Richmond Football Club, which is um, the term would now be the CEO. And it was a, a period where Richmond were the powerhouse club of the competition. Mm. Um, I was introduced to the game at a young age and had uh, probably an insight into the sport, which was a little bit unusual. And uh, in some ways, I, I felt that s- somehow that my childhood was, um, or my growing up, that there was something in my life that uh, all these other people were missing out on in one way <laughs> or another, you yeah. know, that... Uh, you know, that in our well, – I just grew up in a suburban house in Mount Waverley, but we were fortunate to have one of those Clark rubber above brown pools. And yes. So oh, jealous. Around, uh, <laughs> around uh, the summer period, there Very was um, – we were a pretty special household because every the lurchin in the neighbourhood would find themselves in our backyard pool, but they might be sharing that, that pool with the likes of Royce Hart or Francis Burke yeah, or Kevin well, Sheedy, the great yep. right. Richmond players of that era. And so – to be privy to a lot of the conversations, and I think probably my my father Alan saw his means of actually educating me on life was through the lessons of the game as much as anything. And uh, and I had this wonderful metaphor of sport, which um, which I probably still use to this day as a, as a means of talking to people about leadership and understanding challenges and and all everything which goes with being in a high performance environment. But I was that was part of my life from mm. as long as I could actually remember and uh, found myself very early in the piece privy to conversations between a CEO and a coach for example Tom mm. Hafey was a coach mm. of Richmond at the time and you know the likes of Kevin Sheedy or we'd come around and watch the old VFA footy in our uh, lounge room on a Sunday and and I'd be sitting there on the shag pile carpet just taking it all <laughs> in and uh, trying to pretend that I, they, that I wasn't there as the, the conversations got more vigorous as the yeah. evening went on. It, it, let's jump then to 24. It's no surprise then, then when you became CEO of Richmond. I didn't realise the father-son rule applied <laughs> in administration as well. Yeah, well, I've, whether it was an actual application, but I've got no doubt when they were employing me at 24 years of age, um, they thought that they were getting a fair bit of Alan Schwab as well, who was then <laughs> well, Executive Commissioner of the AFL, yeah. So what was it like to, to run that club at such a young age, the youngest ever CEO for any club? 
Most of the time we, we enter into a CEO role or, a, or a, a senior management role before we expect to, I, I would mm. say. I'd probably done my 10,000 hours in the game, but I certainly hadn't done them in, in life in, in regard to leadership. And to get that opportunity very young, the key learning for me was that at that time my peers in, in leadership were people who were gen, generally 20, 25 years older than what I was. Yeah. It come very much out of that uh, command control mentality and so I thought that's how you led basically because the role models of that era were people who could do that when I was 24 and I looked like I was 14 so probably <laughs> that, that, but behaving like a 50 year old yeah trying to yeah, yeah. And, and, and at Richmond at the club which was my the club I supported as a kid and a lot of the the great players of that era were coming to the end of their careers but what I worked out relatively early and probably the biggest lesson was that if you're going to lead you have to lead in a way which is true to who you are and so they true to who you are is actually obviously your personality your behaviors your you know your values all those important things but also building off the stuff that you are good at and that you enjoy and the part of my upbringing and my first incarnation in football was as a recruiting person so I was a talent ID person mm-hmm. and so therefore that built a game which I could build my leadership game from, of which I didn't realise at the time, in that good recruiting requires you know, good talent ID, it requires a strategy as to how we're going to build something going forward, um, requires you to keep an eye on the future as well as understanding what's going on in the moment. It's about building relationships, doing deals. There's a whole lot of stuff in that environment which was actually very valuable for me as a leader coming in, but I was choosing to ignore it and mm. play a game I thought I had to play. Mm. and When did you learn to be more authentic? Um, I think it took a long time. I, I, I was exhausting myself, basically. I, I thought that just by trying harder, I would get there. Mm. And, uh, and I worked out that trying harder, which was always this sort of sporting mentality, just go harder, just go mm. harder was not going to actually take me to where I wanted to go. Right. And, Do and you it think was, um, it was the, the fact that you were 24, you were so young, that um, you didn't understand, I guess, the, cap- the capability required in the role? Um, I think it's probably a journey that most leaders go on anyway. And I was doing it... I just so the age wasn't a massive factor? Uh, it might have been a factor for other people. It certainly wasn't a factor. I didn't feel that way. No, mm. and it might have been talked about when I wasn't in the room. But the people who were important to me never brought it up as an issue. And in particular, there was a guy, Neville Crow, who was a president of Richmond at the time. And he was a wonderful mentor, but at no stage did he ever make me feel young. And yep. he, would, he would encourage me in the way that you would encourage any leader coming through the system. But at no stage, it wasn't, oh, you're only 24, you wouldn't understand. It was, no, I think, you know, the, the, what we're expecting of you in terms of this role is these things. And all of those were wonderful lessons to have. And so... In terms of the the, the overarching lesson and, and probably talk to it and teach to it now is is really this this notion of build a game which you're going to give yourself the best chance of maintaining your confidence because it's your your confidence as a leader which is actually going to take a whack before anything does that you know everyone talks of this notion of the imposter syndrome well that's basically just a reflection that you've lost confidence you've yes. lost belief yeah. and uh, you know I. 
people ask me, did I ever feel that? Well, I thought I was like on the Truman Show for 25 years <laughs> in some ways, you know, that I thought someone was going to come in and say, this was a big joke, yeah. Cameron, and, and you know, you, you weren't ever really in this job, these jobs. And mm. so building around something that you genuinely love, believe in, gives you confidence and then seek to complement what you don't bring to the game by getting really good people around you who do bring those things. In Carson's intro, he mentioned uh, three clubs. So you did Richmond, Frio and Melbourne. And Carson also mentioned that uh, it's not how you get knocked down, it's how you get up. And I know that's an important lesson that you've learned. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, and it was it came. It's it's wonderful, Alan Jean saying, and that's again, as I mentioned, a, a terrific mentor of mine. Who, at a at a, at a very difficult and dark period of time, he, you know, he in quite a open forum uh, gave me that lesson, invited me to an event, and spoke to that, and probably recognised in me a um, a level of uh, unhealthy darkness that I hadn't actually recognised in myself mm-hmm. and uh, and that was because you were going through a tough time yourself you, you it was having, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd been sacked as CEO of Melbourne Football Club in quite a public way and it was it was um, at a difficult period in coincided with other things that were happening in life but it was at a difficult period uh, simply because at the end of it I saw I'd already been the CEO of an AFL club or two AFL clubs and I was 35 mm. and thinking perhaps the one thing that I'd always identified myself with in an unhealthy way, really, in hindsight, was the game. And, and knowing that if I was going to actually derive my, my purpose, my values, my expectations, all the things that were, were giving me energy at that, at that point in time from something as volatile as elite sport, well, that was a pretty unhealthy place to be. Yeah. And so therefore I, I recognised, and it took a long time to do it, to slowly build around a, um, a piece of myself which wasn't going to be reliant on something external to me. And... And built around, if you like, um, I'd say uh, habits as much as anything. How, how do you actually bring into play? I think most people have an understanding of what they need to do. They have an inability to actually make the changes in their lives which actually enable them to achieve those things. Well, why is that? I think, well, well basically, majority of our behaviours do emerge from either good or bad habits, you know, and, and there's not anyone who says, I'd like to do more of something, I'd like to do less of something. Well, the, the way you do more of something is by practising it more and, and often creating just a small habit and, uh, you know, and, and building for yourself what I'd call the small wins, just creating small wins for yourself so you can actually build the confidence from that and, and you slowly, they then change the behaviours, you see the value of it. And it's almost like the compounding interest, if you like, of good behaviours and and so I, and you asked me the question before about, uh, about leadership and, and what I had as a young person. Well, I had none of those things, basically. Mm. And so I had to create for myself good leadership habits. And good leadership habit, for example, is not coming into the room on your white horse saying that you've got all the answers. Mm. It might be coming into the room and saying, actually, I think I've got a bit of a sense of this stuff, but I'm, I'm really confident that we've actually got enough capability in this room to come up with a much better answer than I can on my own. That's pure leadership confidence. And, and that really emerged from a time where I had to rebuild myself as a human being as much as rebuild myself as a leader. Mm-hmm. And, and that through that period of um, getting knocked down, getting the sack, getting sacked publicly, I was unemployed for almost 12 months and eventually I got the opportunity of, by situations and circumstances of going over to Perth and being the CEO of the Fremantle Football Club, which then was probably the most positive period of my career. Many people lose jobs all the time, but can we talk for a moment about when a high-profile person loses their job, whether it's a, a footy player or yeah. yourself under the Schwab name? What extra burdens and, and difficulties does that bring? Um, 
Well, the, the positive is you don't have to explain in, to anyone that you lost a job. <laughs> Everyone right. knows. Everyone knows. And, <laughs> and your mum rings you up and says they're not saying very nice things about you on the wireless camera and, or something right. like that. Um, right. So th- they don't question when you're looking at Seek. Yeah, <laughs> they that's can't right. know there's why no, you're they, doing they it. They know what's going on. Right. So, yeah, there's probably an element of that. But you, you do um, you do get a fair bit of empathy because of that. Mm-hmm. And so I can't say that that's any harder or, or any better. I haven't lived the other experience, but I, I have lived the experience of waking up in the morning with um, the thing that was uh, overwhelming you in terms of its workload one day ago is no longer any part of your existence at all. And mm. the thing's got to move on without you. And the, the challenge is, can you move on? And, and probably each... And I, I got sacked twice, both times by Melbourne. And... In each case, it was always going to be challenged to move on. The good, the good thing was the second time I got sacked is I, I was aware that that was going to happen, right. and uh, and I had to take an alternate view because at that stage that was thirty after thirty years in the game, twenty five years as a CEO, yeah. and I pretty much worked out that that was it, you, <laughs> you know, saw that, it coming. That, that was that was going to be the end, the end game, and that was actually at a time I went back and studied art full time at the at, in within about twelve months I was. At, I was at a TAFE course studying Fantastic. art. Yeah. Yeah. That then leads us into, I guess, where you are now and what you're doing now. So yeah. just talk us about your some of your philosophies and beliefs around leadership and then how does that interwine into the keynotes that you deliver? Well, probably probably the critical element of it is is recognising the role of a leader as teacher. And and that came to me relatively early in the piece when, when I saw what our coaches were doing in regard to the development of young men to behave and play and have all the expectations of them which young men don't normally have and recognize that that's just an expectation there's no and and coming in elite sport the one thing about sport at that standard is the competition actually sets the standard for you you just have to actually hope that your system's good enough that it can compete at that standard and and really everyone talks about it as team versus team or club versus club but it's really system versus system you know who's got the best system here the system on producing the right amount of talent or the right quality of talent, the system as to how we play. Alistair Clarkson's had the best system, I think, for the best last 10 years, and it's no coincidence that he coached three premierships in a row and then three coaches that he coached coached the next three <laughs> premierships mm. in a row. Yeah, so, amazing. So it is a system, if yeah. you like. So that notion of development and, and, and everything which Australian football does very well, I've now basically sought to apply that to how, how does that work within a business. Any kind of business. Any kind of business. And, and, for, and, the, and the classic example of it would be an 18-year-old athlete coming into an AFL club is basically the number one thing we teach. We seek to teach them is the notion of self-responsibility. Can they actually ultimately take responsibility for their own development in the context of a team environment? We don't do that in business. And I see that as being... And one of the reasons we don't do it is because we don't spend enough time with our people just giving feedback, teaching, developing. We make major exercises out of those things by having performance appraisals every six months or Mm. something similar to that, which are a proven failure. When basically we need to make sure that every communication we have with every individual has a teaching, coaching element to it. And that's how elite sport works. So they're not sit down for an hour sessions. They're little two-minute conversations. They're three-minute conversations. But those two or three-minute conversations are very, very valuable. And an example would be players coming into the grand final last year. You might have been only playing your 20th game of AFL football, but the coach wouldn't have spent any more than two or three minutes with you in grand final week. 
because it would have been we need more of the same or just make this small adjustment mm. because he's been coached and coached and coached until that point in time. They're not sitting down with them every six months and teaching them how to play on the MCG. Yeah. Yep. Can you think of an example of a, of a client in business that you've worked with that has it right, who is approaching it at an elite sport kind of mentality? Yeah, I think most of them are now. And, and basically it builds around two or three habits. The, the first one is to do a weekly assessment of your people and not do a weekly assessment as in I'm going to sit down and assess them one-on-one with mm. them, mm. just to be clear on what your thinking is on how they're actually tracking. Right. And by doing that... You then and it only takes five or ten minutes. So I just say, name the ten most important people in your organisation and put yourself at number one and track yourself on just two or three little things. And then when you're up for that conversation or the next time you're in conversation with someone, you can then say, that was a terrific piece of work you did. You know, the reason that was a good piece of work is it means this, this, mm. this and this. And it's why? fresh in your mind it's because fresh it's, in a, your mind. it's a conditional thing that you've been practising. Yeah, you've been practising and you're having those conversations all the time. And so the, the three rules I, I, I say on feedback is the first one is can you back it up? You know, is there something which supports what you're actually going to say? The second one is, is it coming from a, you know, a good place, mm. a, a place of care, a place of generosity, a place of decency? And the third one is, is it actually important that it's being said? And if it's important, if it passes those tests, you know, it it's, uh, can be backed up, it's coming from a good place and it's important. Mm. Well, I don't know about you, but I'd like to get that feedback. <laughs> Absolutely. You know. In regards to your keynote, what do you want your people that hear you speak, what do you want them to walk away with? My basic philosophy coming in is, firstly, you've got to honour it. I'm standing in front of a group. And when of you say honour it, you honour honor the role as a leader. I'm honouring the role as the speaker to this audience. Oh, right, yes. And yeah. as, a, as someone who potentially has an opportunity to teach. So there's, there's probably two elements to it. And so therefore you honour it by giving your gut, being, being your best. And that might be the sport mentality coming out a bit as well, that you don't want to leave anything behind because you're actually in a situation where at that stage you've got a group of people who you have the capacity to influence in a way which might be profound at some stage in their life, maybe, if they mm. get one thing down. The second part of it is... I think you need to lift people in order to shift people. So you want to actually engage in a way which is highly um, personal, I think, and I think leadership's personal anyway. So you do that. I do that through storytelling and a little bit of metaphor. And I use I use sport, I use art, and I use family as key metaphor for the learnings that you hope to get. But at some stage, I want people feeling an absolute inclination to reach for something to record what they've just heard. Mm -hmm. Whether that's writing a note on a piece of paper, whether that's taking a photograph of an image, because I use imagery a lot, or it is a conversation that they feel inclined to have with the next person they speak to. Fantastic. Most of the people we interview on uh, our next guest is have their website as their name. But you've got the most intriguing one, which is www.designceo.com.au. What's all that about? I think you've got to design a life in some way. So it comes. I love the notion of design. I love something that you actually can look at. And, and its design is so beautiful and almost pure that you don't realise it's being beautifully designed. Right, it's that, yes. It's that sort yes. of feeling. And I think that's what great leadership is, that you know, the wonderful leaders that I've met, and people always talk about you know, the charismatic leaders, and, and they're the people when they walk in the room, you feel good about them. You, you look at them and go, they're, they're all wonderful. But the best leaders I've met are people who make you feel better about you. Mm-hmm. And Alan Jeans is an example of that. 
And I don't know quite how Alan Jeans did it, <laughs> but it was beautiful what right. he did. Right. It was quite wonderful. Right. And then little things would come out over time. Like you'd, you'd be having a chat with Alan and he'd say something like, um, and I don't remember, Alan had really big ears, you know, like he had two of the best ears you've ever seen in your life. And he goes and he'd say, God never gave me these for nothing, you right. know, like, right. and, and it'd be just, and then you say, no, that's what, that's part of his, um, the, his beautifully designed leadership, if mm-hmm. you like, is that he's a wonderful listener. Mm. But he wasn't just a wonderful listener. He was someone who would listen and then fold back into the conversation what he'd heard from you and made you feel better about you and your capacity to achieve it. It was beautifully in his own way designed. So therefore I think even CEOs who aren't spending time designing their way of leading, they're almost dishonouring the role in one way, and I used the word honour before, because the role's not about them anymore. The role's about those who have actually aligned their careers with the organisation or the person that they're, mm. you know, that they're who, who is their leader. Mm. You know, that we're going to ask for people to put in 30, 40, 50, 60 hours of week into, the, into this business. Can we at least honour that thing that they're giving us? They're not spending 30, 40, 50 hours a week doing anything else right. other than working for us. Yeah. Fantastic. You're not one of those speakers who woke up one day and said, oh, how can I make a buck and what shall I talk about? You started life surrounded by a sport that you love that yeah. was obviously handed down through the generations and then you turned it into a career. And what clearly has come through that is that the painful lessons that you learned along the way, you've found the gold in that and you're now passing that on. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, no worries. And uh, look, in some ways the, the challenges have been the gift really. Mm. Because if you can, you can find something from them and they become unique to you, hence the design. Absolutely. Having had the pleasure of seeing you um, speak, you're an incredibly powerful and engaging storyteller. And if you'd like to uh, also have Cameron come to your organisation and uh, give one of his keynote presentations, if you haven't already picked up on it, the website is www.designceo.com.au. You've been listening to Carson White from Leading Voice and your MC, Michael Pope with our next guest is. More guests can be found through iTunes or just visit www.ournextguestis.com.au. But until next time, let's take a break.